Welcome to Witness to Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society. My name is Patrice Dutille, and I'm talking from the Allen Slate Radio Institute at Ryerson University in downtown Toronto. We've had a few good years of public debate about statues and monuments that honor dead white politicians and generals in this country. John Ray MacDonald statues have been prominent in being defaced in Montreal and Kingston. The monument to MacDonald in Victoria, B.C. was actually removed. In Nova Scotia, the statue of Edward Cornwallis, Halifax's controversial founder, was removed from the park that also bears his name in January 1918. Cornwallis, of course, has been controversial for the military campaigns he directed against the Mi'kmaq. What is the health of the major monuments to Samuel de Champlain, the namesake of the society that sponsors this podcast, one might ask? There are now four substantial ones in Canada— There are six if you count the small ones on Quebec's Parliament Building and the one on the University of Toronto School of Public Policy on Queen's Park Circle. There's one in Quebec City. There's one in Ottawa. That's the one with the Astrolab held upside down. There's an important one in St. John. And there's one in Orillia, Ontario. And there's a new one, relatively new one, in Penetanguishene, Ontario. The one in Aurelia has attracted a little bit of controversy, but it has also prompted a great article in Ontario History, the scholarly journal of the Ontario Historical Society. It was written by Michael D. Stevenson and entitled, Free from all possibility of historical error, Aurelia's Champlain Monument, French-English Relations, and Indigenous Representation and Misrepresentation in Commemorative Sculpture. With me to talk about the politics of stone is Michael D. Stevenson, Associate Professor of History at Lakehead University. We reached him at his office in Aurelia, Ontario. Michael, welcome to the mic. Thank you very much, Patrice. I'm very happy to be here. Michael, this is the first podcast we dedicate to an article as opposed to a book, and I'm glad we've finally gotten the chance to talk to you about this excellent piece because the monument to Champlain in Aurelia is again a subject of controversy. What is your research interest in the field of monuments and memory? I'm a military history by training, and I've always had a keen interest in the uh, issue of monuments and memory. How do we uh, remember warfare, basically? Uh, I've basically expanded that out to uh, encompass other memorial activities as well, uh, the late 19th and 20th centuries uh, were kind of the high point of the uh, idea of building monuments, uh, celebrating a variety of, of events. Uh, the Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee, uh, the Boer War, the First World War, obviously, uh, the um, uh, founding of Quebec. Um, and I came to Aurelia in 2011 and became acquainted with the Champlain Monument here in Kuchiching Beach Park on the shores of Lake Kuchiching. Um, there wasn't anything uh, very much written about the, the history of that monument, uh, so I undertook a research project, and it was a fascinating story uh, using both local and uh, provincial and national sources to see exactly why this monument was built, uh, what it represented, and then, of course, you can tie that, uh, that history of the Champlain Monument into the very contentious debate about uh, monuments that are that is going on today. So do, tell us about the significance of this statue. Uh, what does it depict and what is it meant to commemorate? It was meant to celebrate the 300th anniversary of Samuel de, Cha- de Champlain's arrival uh, in Huronia. 
Um, it's a very it's a very impressive monument in terms of its construction. It's more than 30 feet high. Uh, I'm sure uh, many of our listeners have, have had the chance to to see it. Uh, it features a uh, bronze sculpture of Samuel de Champlain at the top of the monument, uh, and also has two very interesting side panels. Uh, one is named Christianity, and it features a uh, a priest basically uh, with a crucifix raised kind of imparting the Catholic faith to two uh, Huron figures at the bottom of the monument. On the other side of the of the Champlain statue is a side panel called Commerce, and it shows a coureur de bois basically trading uh, trading goods with, with two, two Huron figures. Uh, again, all of the indigenous figures are located kind of at the, at the very bottom of the monument. Um, so it's, it's a very it's a very imposing uh, monument. It's one of the largest in in Canada. It was unveiled in 1925. Uh, it wasn't. It was supposed to be unveiled in 1915, but the First World War basically interrupted the the construction of the of the monument. Mm. Um, now, so, so it really is an impressive uh, impressive design. It was uh, designed by Vernon March. Who was Vernon March? Vernon March was a young but uh, very distinguished sculptor from from Britain. Comes from a very large family of uh, artistically inclined people. Um, March, of course, went on to design the National War Memorial in Ottawa. He died before it was unveiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Vernon March is the the creator of that that impressive uh, uh, memorial in in downtown downtown Ottawa. So he definitely uh, had enormous talent. Uh, and again, um, his brothers and sisters were also similarly talented. Um, so, so the Aurelia choice of Vernon March certainly proved to be an inspired one in terms of the talent that March could bring to the table so, to create this, so this monument. L- let's get this straight. Canada wants to celebrate the 300th anniversary of a Frenchman to Huronia, and they give the they give the commission to a Brit. <laughs> the, the competition was very explicitly directed uh, towards sculptors of considerable reputation in the British Empire and in France as well. Mm. Uh, the competition that was held uh, did see a significant number of distinguished French sculptors uh, submit design uh, submit designs uh, to the competition committee. Um, there were 22 submissions in total, uh, and, and Vernon March's was was selected from from the 22 sculptors who who participated in the in the competition. There was some controversy about the selection of March. Um, many sculptors thought that he had the the inside track. Uh, he seems to have seems to have had direct contact with Sir Edmund Walker, uh, who was involved with the the Champlain Monuments uh, creation with C. Harold Hale, a local businessman here in Aurelia, um, and some sculptors thought that the uh, the fix was in 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 some respects, um, and that that Walker that uh, Vernon March was essentially given an unfair advantage uh, during the competition because of his his association with uh, Sir Edmund Walker. Well, Sir Edmund Walker is is no small figure. He is also the founder of the Champlain Society in 1905, one of the co-founders, I should say. Um, what was—Sir Edmund Walker was, of course, the president of the Bank of Commerce. 
Um, now this is the nine. So you're talking about the the competition taking place in the 1920s, in the early 1920s, is it? Uh, no, it took place before the before the First World War. Oh, before in, the in, First in, in, in 1913, basically. Okay. okay, 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 okay. And it took a while because of the war intervened. It took a while before the the funding was put together and be before the commission could actually be started. Yes, the the, the design was selected um, with Vernon March being the successful sculptor. Uh, in in 1913, um, the monument was the the brainchild essentially of a local uh, business person here in Aurelia named Charles Harold Hale. Uh, Hale had participated in the 1911 uh, reciprocity election uh, on the side of the of the Conservatives. Uh, he took a vacation to the Maritimes and to Quebec uh, in 1912. And he came across the um, you know, quite impressive monument to Champlain in St. John, New Brunswick. Right. Um, he knew that the 300th anniversary of Champlain's arrival in Huronia was coming up in 1915. And Hale, being one of those uh, boosters uh, from the business community, really thought that Aurelia could put itself on the map, essentially, if it could pull off um, a major commission for a uh, statue of Champlain um, to be unveiled in, in 1915. Again, the, the war intervened, the First World War intervened, obviously, um, and March himself didn't begin working on the, on the monument until 1918 uh, at the end of the, of the war. Uh, delays, uh, issues, problems kind of crept into the, to the sculpting process, and it wasn't until 1925 that the monument was actually unveiled in, in Aurelia. The presence of people like Hale and Walker, does that explain why there's this unusual panel at the bottom that you've described dedicated to commerce? I, I don't think so. It, it, seems, it seems that Vernon March uh, played the key role in how the figures on the monument were uh, placed, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, even in his plaster and bronze uh, model that he submitted to the competition committee in 1913, you already had the, the basic outlines of the, the monument as they would appear when it was officially unveiled in, in 1925. You still had the towering figure of Champlain himself at the top of the monument. You still had the two side panels uh, with, uh, with the, the placement of the um, the the indigenous uh, populations represented in the monument, and kind of at the at the bottom uh, of the of the monument uh, itself. So, Walker, Edmund Walker, and and Harold Hale didn't seem to have very much to do with the with the layout of of the monument. That seemed to be a um, a creation of in March. in Vernon March's. Um, mind. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's one of those questions that we don't really have an answer to in terms of, of why March chose to lay out the, the Champlain Monument as, as, he, as, he, as he did. What makes this monument different from the ones in Quebec, in Ottawa, or the ones at uh, St. John in New Brunswick, or the one in Plattsburgh, New York, or the one at Crown Point in New York State. What makes this design in Aurelia different than the others? 
I think there are both differences and similarities um, in terms of the Champlain Monument in Aurelia and its relation to the other monuments that were built to Champlain um, 100 years ago or, or so. Um, I think the Champlain Monument is likely the the best in terms of the quality, just the, the raw quality of the of the bronze uh, sculpting uh, undertaken by by a march. Um, many of these monuments to Champlain also have the same pattern in terms of portraying a triumph, triumphant Champlain figure um, with Indigenous peoples placed usually at the bottom of the of a given monument. The, the case of the Champlain Monument in, in Ottawa, for example, uh, at Nepean Point. Um, again, you had, the figure, you, had, you had the figure of Champlain at the top, you had the, uh, the figure of the Anishinaabe Scout uh, that was actually added later. Uh, that monument was built in 1915. Uh, the Anishinaabe Scout was placed uh, at the bottom of the monument several years uh, later. Uh, you mentioned the Champlain monuments at Plattsburgh and Crown Point. You see the you see the same pattern in terms of the placement uh, of the indigenous figures in a in the monument, kind of at the feet uh, or below uh, the 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 Champlain portion of of a given monument. Um, so it is really interesting to see the similarities and the and the differences in terms of Champlain himself. Um, it's it's a, it's a bit different. Uh, in terms of the portrayal, uh, Sir Edmund Walker was quite uh, firm that, in fact, Aurelia's monument to Champlain shouldn't look the same as the other Champlain figures in Quebec City uh, or in uh, in Ottawa, whatever the case might be. Uh, so the figure in, in Aurelia of Champlain is a little bit more rough and ready, a little bit more of kind of a swashbuckling uh, portrayal of, of Champlain, and for both Edmund Walker and, and Harold Hale, the two major backers of the project, they wanted Aurelia's monument to stand out. They just didn't want it to be a, a version or a facsimile copy of Champlain monuments that have been constructed elsewhere. They went for a very unique uh, design, uh, a very unique, uh, unique prototype that Bernard Mark put together. Um, and, and I think they were they were very, very happy with the the final result, uh, as uh, conceived by the sculptor Vernon March. Did he? Did March tell us about the research? Did Did March do some particular? I mean, we all we all know that we have no idea what Champlain looked like. First of all, yes. yes. Uh, what What did What kind of research did March do? This is a really interesting part of the story. Um, most of March's material. Uh, was provided to him by James Kenney, the Director of Historical Research at the Public Archives of Canada. Uh, during the First World War, Kenney sent about 30 exhibits uh, to Vernon March uh, to be used in the eventual sculpting of the, of the Champlain Monument. And this, this, this is really interesting because there was a lot of detail provided to March about uh, Champlain, uh, about figures who traveled, French figures who traveled with Champlain during his expedition to Huronia in 1615. Um, you can see some of the images of 
priests, for for example, that were provided to Vernon March, you can see the same kind of body positioning used by March in the final um, sculptures that appear on the monument. What March didn't get was a very detailed portrayal of the Huron population of Huronia in, in 1615. Mm. Um, some material from Champlain's voyages, uh, some material from other um, 18th and 19th century books that kind of had very rudimentary images of uh, indigenous life in Huronia uh, in, the, in the 17th century. Uh, so it seems that March was almost going from um, his own playbook in, in essence, kind of almost, it was, it was March's vision that comes through here. Um, and it's also interesting to note that the first mock-ups that March sent uh, to uh, Harold Hale and Sir Edmund Walker uh, after the First World War, um, they actually rejected March's portrayal of the Huron population here uh, in the modern-day Aurelia area. For instance, March initially sculpted the Huron figures uh, fully clothed. Um, the experts at the time to whom uh, it, pictures of, of Vernon March's prototype was, uh, were sent, um, they rejected March's characterization of the, uh, of the, of the Huron mm. population. Um, they rejected the facial features that March proposed beyond the final monument. They rejected the clothing. They rejected the uh, the the tomahawks, the the axes. Um, so the first go round was actually rejected by um, scholars at the time. And if you see the final version that was unveiled in 1925, you know March essentially took all of the criticisms um, to heart. Mm. And so the figures. In the unveiled monument, for instance, the Huron figures, um, they're virtually naked. Their facial features have changed. The, um, the, the elements and the items um, that are, the smaller items that are, that are part of the monument uh, are different than March's original uh, d design. In, so your in your mind, are they still historically accurate or as accurate as we can make them? We're talking about the indigenous I, I, figures I, I, here. I think it's it's as, it's as accurate as um, they could have been made at the time, mm -hmm. 100 years ago. Again, clearly, I think our understanding and knowledge of Huron society uh, in the middle of the 17th century has changed substantially, mm -hmm. um, coming down to the to the present day. Um, and in terms of the modern um, controversy about the staging of the Champlain Monument here in Aurelia, it, it, it really is kind of the placement of the figures. It doesn't seem to be as much about what the Huron figures actually look like. It's just where they're, they're placed. Again, right. these two side panels, the right. Christianity side panel and the Commerce side panel, um, many observers just feel that um, it's a case of the Huron figures have no agency you know they have no power right. there. They're basically uh, docile, um, taking Christianity uh, from the um, the Christian missionary, taking goods 
um, that the Coureur de Bois were, were, were willing to give uh, to, to them. Um, so the, the, the modern day controversy is very much about kind of the, the physical staging uh, and the placement of the various groups of people, you know, again, Champlain up high, um, the priest and the trader, the French trader uh, in the middle, and then the Huron figures uh, at the very bottom of the monument. Um, that's that's where most of the of the modern day controversy. So, so where are where are we at now? the The statue itself is, is has been restored by Parks Canada. Yes, Parks Canada um, undertook to restore the monument. It had suffered some considerable damage uh, in the past uh, ninety years or so as a result of weather. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Parks Canada took the statue down, took the monument down a couple of years ago. Um, They had promised to restore it and place it back as it was, you know, intact, basically. Uh, Once the monument came down, um, there was considerable opposition from uh, members of the Aurelia community and, and and the broader national community as well. Um, that in fact here was an opportunity uh, to basically um, correct this problem in the minds of many people uh, with the uh, with the the um, elements of the monument that that weren't um, considered appropriate. The, the idea again, <clears throat> the idea of the indigenous people being seen in a in a submissive position. Yes, yes. Um, so there was uh, a panel struck uh, here in Aurelia, uh, consisting of various stakeholders, and the final decision that has been made is that the monument will not go back uh, in its original form. That um, essentially the statue of Champlain. Uh, will go back up, mm-hmm. um, but that these two side panels of you know Christianity and commerce, uh, they will they will not be a part of the of the restored uh, Champlain monument and in in Aurelia. And of course, it, this is what's been going on for yes. for forty years. Yes, um, th- this idea of of looking back at these monuments and uh, raising issues with them. Um, Louis Riel, for instance. Uh, his original statue on the grounds of the Manitoba legislature put up in the 1970s, early 1970s, the original monument to Riel uh, was showed, depicted a, a, a naked Louis Riel, very conflicted, very, uh, very um, uh, distorted in terms of his physical characteristics, uh, obviously for many uh, in the Métis community. In Manitoba, this was a direct insult uh, to the memory of Louis Riel. Um, a controversy ensued. That original monument to Riel was uh, was replaced by a much more statesmanlike-looking Riel um, that is now found on the grounds of the of the Manitoba Legislature. We had mentioned that monument to Champlain in Ottawa, yes, uh, with the Anishinaabe Scout at the base of the uh, of the of the monument. Uh, again, in the 1990s, the Anishinaabe Scout was essentially removed from the Champlain Monument and placed a few hundred meters away uh, in its own location. So the 
the monument in Aurelia, or sorry, the monument in, in Ottawa uh, has been has been changed as as well. There was some effort made in the 1990s and early 2000s to um, alter the Champlain Monument here in Aurelia, specifically by inserting a new uh, descriptive plaque, uh, the original plaque that um, said that the monument had been erected to, quote, uh, commemorate the advent into Ontario of the white race. Uh, many Aurelians uh, viewed that text as, as being um, as being inappropriate, provocative, uh, yes, and so and, and provocative, <laughs> and, and there was and there was an effort made um, to change the, the description of the plaque at that time. That didn't go anywhere. Um, that that uh, local initiative fizzled out basically. Um, so 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 it is interesting to see how the how attitudes changing over the years the, um, it's, it's have a, impacted and are impacting yes. the way we we view these monuments that have been erected uh, at times when. Um, when cultures were different uh, than the one we have in Canada. Speaking uh, as a scholar, are you satisfied with this compromise? I, I think I think it is is a compromise. Um, I, I, I think the importance of these monuments um, is their educational value. Yes. Um, I, 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 I think the debate about the Champlain Monument here in Aurelia has proven to be of great value as kind of an educational uh, tool. Um, the, the commerce and the Christianity side panels, um, I hope they will be available for consultation and, and viewing. Uh, I don't. I don't know how that how that would occur. Because Michael, uh, they do they do tell a story, do they not? I mean, Champlain. It's important to remind I think our listeners the circumstances that brought Champlain to Ontario, deep in Ontario, what we know now as Ontario Territory, in 1615. He was brought in uh, by the Huron to uh, give assistance in their battle uh, with the Iroquois, which he did. He, he did travel to Iroquois territory in what is now upstate New York, was injured, was brought back to Huronia by, by uh, Huron warriors. He was practically alone. There's a small detachment of a few dozen people with him. Uh, he will winter in 1615 in Huronia, then will return to uh home base, so to speak, in, in, in Quebec's in Quebec uh, that spring. He there was there was definitely an aspect of conversion, uh, in the sense that the there were priests uh, present in, in, in Hieronia at the time. Father Le Caron was there. Um, there is a commerce aspect for sure, uh, in that there are coureurs de bois, um, Present in in in, in Huronia, uh, there I mean there there is a validity to that depiction, is there not? It's whether it, it the question becomes really of the positioning of the indigenous people that are depicted regarding or vis-à-vis -vis, uh, the Champlain statue. Yes, I think you're you're one hundred percent correct, uh, Patrice. Um, Champlain enjoyed very good relations with the inhabitants of Huronia. When he came in 1615, um, the monument itself, as it was constructed, um, essentially became a monument to French-English cooperation. Mm. Um, 
that's the interesting thing to see as the monument um, developed uh, while March was was designing it. Um, the monument wasn't really trying to depict necessarily um, an equal relationship or an equal partnership uh, between the French and the Huron inhabitants in this region in 16 uh, in 1615. Um, as a result of the First World War, as a result of the strains to Canadian society over the issue of conscription, right. uh, the Bon Entente movement developed, and that idea of kind of um, cooperation between French and the English, uh, between um, various uh, communities in Ontario and Quebec, that essentially becomes the the key element of the celebration of, of Champlain. When the monument is unveiled in 1925, Rodolphe Lemieux, the Speaker of the House of Commons, is the, the primary guest and the primary speech giver uh, on Dominion Day in 1925. And the entire celebration is about the idea of French-English cooperation. Uh, the final version of the plaque that is uh, that was installed on the Champlain Monument. At the very bottom of it, uh, it says, a quote, a symbol of goodwill between the French and English-speaking people of, of Canada. And, of course, the indigenous people, were there indigenous people when they, there when the monument was unveiled? There were, there were very few uh, indigenous um, invitees mm. to the celebration in 1925 that unveiled the monument. Um, there's a fascinating recreation of Champlain's um, activities uh, in the region. Um, essentially, they were all white actors. <laughs> there were no indigenous uh, people invited to kind of participate in this historical recreation. Um, there were uh, several indigenous chiefs in the area uh, invited to the celebration, but but again, it was it was very much a um, a celebration of the the local populace in Aurelia uh, of the um, of the unveiling of this major monument. You make the point in your article that there's also funding attached to this. The government of Quebec will pay for a portion of it. Yeah, the, the government of Ontario. The government of Ontario will pay for a portion of this. Right. The 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 three governments provided the large majority of the of the mm. funding. Uh, the federal government. Um, through lobbying to the, the finance minister before the war, uh, with prodding from Sir Edmund Walker, right. um, the federal government kicked in the largest share. But the provincial governments of Quebec and Ontario also contributed substantial sums of money to the monument's construction. And again, I think that's that's showing the, the importance, the cultural importance that was attached yes. by politicians, both in. Um, English-speaking Ontario and French-speaking Quebec uh, to celebrate the historical legacy of, of Samuel uh, de Champlain. So it's, so it's a very interesting um, kind of way that the, the monument was, was unveiled and, and celebrated. Yes, there are Indigenous representations uh, in the, the figures present on the Champlain monument, um, but in some respects those were um, not emphasized in the unveiling ceremony. Right. It, it really was the, the celebration of Champlain himself uh, coming to Veronia in 1615 um, and then coming down to the present day in the early 20th century in 1925 when the monument was unveiled 
emphasizing the links between Anglophones and Francophones uh, in the in the building of 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 Canada. There's always politics, isn't there? Absolutely, and, <laughs> now, and certainly we see that here. Yeah, um, and, and it is important to emphasize how important this event was in in 1925. Really, um, it's estimated that between 10 and 15,000 people um, were in Kuchijing Beach Park to view the the unveiling of the monument. Uh, it received international press attention. The New York Times, the Times of London. Really, um, it, it was it was a major major. Uh, event uh, in the in the interwar period, um, and it points to the to the importance I think of the idea of, of monuments and memory uh, in terms of how people of, of various time periods think about the past. Our view, as we can see in the controversies uh, in the present day, is different in many respects from the views of Ontario. And Canadian society in, in 1925. Now, in that context, tell me, tell us about the Champlain Monument that was unveiled at Penetanguishene Harbor in 2015. The 400th anniversary of Champlain's arrival in Huronia, of course, did occur in in 2015, um, and it's really fascinating to see the difference in the sculpture that was unveiled. Uh, to celebrate the 400th anniversary versus Vernon March's monument in Aurelia uh, to celebrate the 300th anniversary. Um, in Penetanguishene, there was a historical recreation, just as there was in 1925 in Aurelia, uh, but this time, of course, the theme of the, uh, of the, of the historical reenactment was the, uh, the prominence of the indigenous populations in 1615. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a question of a whole bunch of, of white actors, um, you know, donning makeup and uh, and acting the historical role. Uh, the historical recreation in 2015 uh, featured um, a majority of indigenous actors. The monument that was erected. Uh, in Penetanguishene is is quite fascinating. It's called The Meeting, uh, designed by Timothy Schmaltz. And if the controversy about the Champlain Monument in Aurelia is about the diminished position of the Huron figures of the Champlain Monument, the 2015 monument that was unveiled is fascinating because it places Champlain and the um, Anon, the chief of the Bear Clan, at the same level, I'd, as I'd, equals, as complete yeah. 100% equals mm. uh, in the exchange of ideas and cultures uh, in in the 17th uh, century. So, it, so it's quite fascinating to view the 2015 monument, again, being very, very careful uh, to ensure that the meeting of Champlain and his Huron allies was an equal meeting. Uh, it wasn't... Uh, a meeting of unequals, as the Champlain Monument uh, unveiled in 1925 um, was kind of designed to to indicate. It's more historically accurate, certainly. Yes, a- a- absolutely. I mean, as you indicated earlier, I mean, Champlain um, relied heavily on his Huron allies. I mean, he owed his life, essentially, yes. uh, 
uh, to his Huron allies as a result of his military expedition to to New York um, in in 1615. Um, he had the Champlain, of course, had the the um, prejudices of you know most Europeans at the time. But if you if you read his travel accounts, he was extraordinarily impressed very much yes. with the society that had been built yeah. in Huronia in 1615. Um, particularly in terms of the agricultural development of, of Huronia. Sure. I mean, Champlain was thinking that, in fact, you know, Huronia was a perfect example of what New France might might become in terms of advancing agricultural. They were farmers. Uh, yeah. Development. Yeah. So it's. So I, I think I think the 2015 monument um, certainly does present a more accurate picture, um, and it's also sculpted. It's designed in a different cultural environment. Again, Vernon March wasn't necessarily interested in showing an equal um, exchange of ideas and cultures uh, when he put put forward his design in the early 20th century. Timothy Schmaltz, of course, in the early 21st century, um, is coming from a different cultural environment. Do you care and to... he's much, much more interested in showing yeah. uh, a more equal exchange uh, between Champlain and his Huron hosts. Do you care to uh, speculate on what it would look like in 2115? <laughs> well, we've certainly seen that cultural attitudes towards these monuments can change and change dramatically. Yes. Um, I, I think it would be naive to assume that we have arrived of some arrived at some level of enlightenment. Yes. That will never change in in the future. I'm, I'm quite sure when monuments are are put forward a uh, hundred years from now, and when people a hundred years from now look back at us and the monuments we've created, I'm I'm quite certain there will be the same controversy likely uh, about the way we are portraying things in 2015. I think that's just the the way that that cultures evolve uh, over over time. You mentioned at the outset, near the beginning of our interview, that um, these are learning these are learning um, tools. What's your feeling about monuments, historical monuments? Are you still in favor of historical monuments? Do you think they have any value or virtue, or should we just avoid the controversy and the the disagreements and simply not have monuments? What, what do you think is the place of monuments in 21st century Canada? My own personal opinion would be that, as I indicated, um, many of these monuments, and I'm certainly not going to extend this um, to every single monument that, that has been constructed, I certainly think that there are many, many monuments um, that despite flaws and errors and misinterpretations, uh, can certainly provide um, an outstanding educational opportunity, um, particularly for students um, today. Uh, my most successful courses in Canadian history um, that I teach have, in fact, used the idea of the study of monuments um, to demonstrate how societies have changed over time. Um, so so I, I think it would be a mistake to simply adopt a blanket prohibition kind of on on the study of the, of these monuments and um and their place in in Canadian 
Canadian history. I agree with you. I think that monuments play an enormous role. It's something that we share as a, as a community, as something that we share as a as a as a look, as a, as a, an object of observation. It's something that shapes us in our communities and that we have in common. We don't have that with television or radio. Nobody knows what other people are listening to. I don't think history television can replace a, a good monument at any given time. The, the question becomes, how do, we, how do we erect monuments? To what events, to what people, to, um, to what circumstance? I, and I think it enriches society. Uh, and I'm a huge fan. I stop at every monument. <laughs> Michael, thank you very much for this interview. I really appreciate your insights on the Aurelia statue to Samuel de Champlain and its fate. Thank you very much, Patrice. I'm uh, very pleased to have had the chance to speak with you this afternoon. Thank you. That was Michael D. Stevenson, the author of Free from All Possibility of Historical Error, Aurelia's Champlain Monument, French-English Relations and Indigenous Representations and Misrepresentations in Commemorative Sculpture. It was published in the Fall 2017 issue of the journal Ontario History. You've been listening to Witness to Yesterday, the Champlain Society podcast on Canadian history. Please visit our website at www.champlainsociety.ca where you'll find more about what the Society does, including its publications, its blogs, and more about these podcasts. There's even a place to become a member and sustainer of the Society if you like these conversations with historians about Canada's past. If you like this stuff, please let people know by using whatever social media you use. It would help spread the message, and we'd be really proud of your support. This podcast is made possible by the members of the Champlain Society. Thank you. Thanks also to the Hudson's Bay Company History Foundation and the L.R. Wilson Institute for History at McMaster University for their support of these recordings. My name is Patrice Dutille. This interview was recorded in the Allen Slate Radio Institute at Ryerson University on October 21st, 2019, and it was produced by Michael Smith. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you.